Self-abandon versus self-control. Many years ago, I was driving on the freeway, and I saw a big billboard. And there was a sign of somebody who looked as if he was in the last stages of human disintegration of personality. And the sign said, let yourself go in Las Vegas. And I thought, well, to many people, being happy, having a good time, is sort of letting yourself go, abandoning uh, your, your uh, sense of self-control and, and so on, as if it were a product of uh, tension and, and uh, suppression and so on. Well, I'd like to change that image in your mind, if I can, because the kind of people that I've seen, at least, who let themselves go, didn't seem to be people who, who uh, accomplished anything. Happiness doesn't come from sort of slipping into it by accident. And, in fact, if you go to Las Vegas and uh, see the people there, I think happiness is not the first word that will come to your mind. Not by any means. In fact, I was, I was there recently because I, was, I had to attend an American Booksellers Association as an author. I had a lecture to give there. And uh, uh, a friend of mine picked me up at the airport and took me to the hotel. And then after my part was over, he drove me back to the airport the two, two days later. And uh, he said to me sort of resentfully, he said, you know, that, that woman at the, at the reception desk was really rude to you. And I said, oh, really? I didn't notice. I thought, why, why, I mean, if she wants to be rude, that, that's her problem. It doesn't have to be mine. If I have done something that deserves that kind of attitude, then I should check myself. But if not, and if it's just her problem, why should I get upset by the fact that she's not happy? The thing is, however, that I found a great deal of that kind of attitude in that town, because people are always thinking, money, 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 take, 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 and uh, happiness doesn't come that way. There was a delightful book that came out many years ago. It was called A Love Affair Between a Line and a Dot. And that may not seem like a very promising story, but I, I sort of looked through it to see what was happening, and I became charmed by it. This line fell in love with a dot. And so it, to attract the attention of the dot, it started doing all sorts of squiggles. It would move itself into all sorts of chaotic angles and uh, sweeps and curves and so on, but no reason to it, just a tangle. And the dot remained completely aloof and uninterested. And finally, the line came to realize that to get the attention of this dot, it had to sort of get its act together, you might say. And so with a great deal of effort and discipline, it learned to move itself deliberately in artistic forms. And finally, the dot became interested. And then, as the line began to understand that this was the way to, to uh, mastery of the situation, it began to develop all sorts of very complex patterns, but all of them with a certain reason. There was logic to it. There was symmetry to it. And by that time, the dot fell hopelessly in love with the line. And the moral of the story was to the vector belong the spoils. Well, it told a, a marvelous truth, and that is that you will find what you're looking for in life, not if you just fall all over yourself like a big puppy, 
Many people think, and this is sort of something that's come up out of a culture that has given as much emphasis to freedom as we do, they've thought that freedom means self-abandon. Freedom just means going along with the inspiration of the moment, doing what you want to, laughing uncontrolledly, and sort of uh, irresponsibly just sort of dashing off at any direction, in any direction you want to. There have been a number of movies uh, made on that general theme. A lot came out of the 30s that way. People who were too uptight and straight-laced, and they finally learned to sort of relax a little bit. And uh, in the very relaxation of self-abandon, um, somehow they became whole, happy, uh, healthy human beings again. Well, there's a certain amount of truth in that, in that the more relaxed and less uptight you are, the more uh, you find yourself becoming who you really are, as opposed to any kind of false image you may have formed of yourself. But the truth is that Real relaxation usually doesn't mean just going to sleep. Real relaxation doesn't mean just letting yourself go. Think of it this way, a person on the ski slope. In another talk, I used that illustration in another context. But think of a person on the ski slope who has no control. I think that any beginner will feel uh, what I'm talking about here. Look at the effort involved in skiing when you don't know how to do it well. You, you, everything is, a, is an effort. And the least little moment you let your guard down, you fall. And you may think that you're, you're abandoning yourself to the slope, but before you know it, you're being swallowed by the slope, or at least by some drift on the side of the slope. Whereas if you look at a good skier, you'll find that it looks very easy, and to him it is easy, but it's because he's learned discipline first. He's learned to direct his movements consciously, deliberately, and then in that he develops his expertise. The same thing is true with any sport. The better the sportsman, the easier he makes it look. Whereas a poor sportsman, he's sort of all thumbs, as they say. I've always remembered a marvelous story of Nijinsky, the famous ballet dancer. He had never been on skis before. He grew up in uh, a part of Russia where they didn't ski, maybe it was very flat. At any rate, he visited Switzerland one time, and he went up into, onto a high mountain, it was taken up there, and the uh, man who was sort of showing him was a very qualified ski instructor, and knowing that he was with this famous ballet dancer, uh, decided to show off what he could do in his own milieu his, uh, uh, on the slopes. And so he executed a number of very difficult turns and so on. And Nijinsky didn't look at this the way most people would, sort of thinking, now just a minute, he put his elbow out here and he sort of did this and that. No, Nijinsky sort of related from his own center as a dancer to the center of that skier as a skier. And he could understand the movements perfectly because of that. He could put himself in, uh, well, we say in his shoes. In Italian, they say, uh, nei suoi panni, in his clothes. The, the idea is put himself in that body, in that position. And then when the instructor came up, Nijinsky set off and did exactly the same movements, and just as well as the instructor. 
The instructor simply refused to believe that he'd never been on, that Nijinsky had never been on skis before. But the thing is that he had that control. Now control to many people means tension. But that's the kind of control that a beginner has. He's just afraid of doing anything wrong, and so he stumbles over himself. But control really means getting centered at yourself and learning to do things consciously, learning to do them deliberately. I remember years ago, I was 17, when I uh, bought a typewriter and bought, got with the typewriter a little manual that uh, explained the touch system and gave you all sorts of exercises for the touch system. For one week, I practiced the touch system, but I didn't bother about the numbers. I thought, well, I can pick them up later, and I was eager to learn how to type um, words, and so I just stayed with the exercises that pertained to the words. After a week, I found I could type properly, and of course it took a long time to become good, but I had the basics of the touch system. Now that was a long time ago. I don't need to tell you how long ago uh, it was that I was 17 years old, but you can take it for granted that I'm over 21. And uh, I can type well, but you know, I still don't know where the numbers are because I didn't learn that consciously. I didn't do the various exercises that you need to do to know just where the numbers are. And although I've had to type numbers all my life along with words, I haven't got that same idea of how to do them without looking. With a touch system, I don't have to look. Well, this is what I mean by doing things consciously. Don't do them with abandon. Why does a person become a great artist? I think a lot of the art of our century is going to be looked at with amusement. Sort of, It'll go in museums, but under the label of comedy, I think, in another hundred years or so. Because what we've given people, essentially, is our problems. And I think people turn to the arts to look for solutions to their problems. Problems with Golgart. I don't need to know what somebody else's problems are. I need to know how to get out of my problems. So the cacophony that you hear in music, I, I heard Bartok's first symphony, and I, I was thinking, now you may be a great aficionado of Bartok. I like Bartok too, but I, I'll be frank with you, I don't like his first symphony. Why? Well, to me, music should have melody, harmony, rhythm. These are sort of the basics, aren't they? What do you make of a piece of music that doesn't really have any of those three? It sort of starts out on a, in the direction of a melody, and then suddenly thinks, oh dear, people realize uh, they're going to anticipate me if I keep on, so I'm going to fool them. I'm going to show them I'm more intelligent than they are. I'll go in another direction. And the same thing with rhythm. You just get settled into a feeling that now you know what the rhythm is when he goes off somewhere else, always to show you how clever he is. That's not genius. Genius is not doing the unexpected. It's doing what's right. It's doing that which is deeply satisfying. It's doing that which is in tune with the universe, with God, with higher inspiration. And anyway, this, this uh, music of Bartok, this first symphony, just didn't seem to go anywhere at all. Well, that's what a lot of music is and a lot of art is in our century because they think that... that uh, Either you need to get away totally from self-control, and so any kind of dabbling you do. In fact, there were some. They 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 had a, a few works of art 
that they showed to some critics, and the critics are, hmm, yeah, uh, this is this is this is good. Uh, that one, oh, that one's even better. They they gave the first prize to one person, one one work, and later found out that it was a monkey that had done it. Uh, I think that's about where a lot of our art is, that you sort of psych yourself into thinking that it's great. But just sort of abandoning yourself and thinking that genius is going to come through because you've let go, that's not the way it works in anything that you can really register with some modicum of common sense. What you need to do is have self-control but not tension. And that comes from conscious practice. Being aware of what you're doing. If you look at great art, if you look at great literature, great music, you'll find that not a single thing is wasted. Look at Shakespeare, the, the uh, comic scenes, the lesser characters. Every one of them gets full energy. A lesser writer throws his minor characters away. He doesn't have enough energy for them. But Shakespeare had that energy because he had that control to be able to do everything that he did consciously. And so it is whatever you're doing. If you're, if you're speaking, if you're writing, if you're singing, if you're cooking, whatever it is, put your entire mind into what you're doing so that if you're writing music, for example, every note counts, every note matters. It's very important whether that note goes up or down, whether it goes sideways, whether it's prolonged or made staccato. Music is a language. And so many musicians think of it as just sort of a mental thing that, oh, let's go this way, oh, let's go this way, because others have done it, or because it's fun, or whatever. So most people in every field are not conscious. Think of picture windows. They came out many years ago, and uh, became an in thing because in the countryside you got a beautiful big picture window you can see the rolling hills the trees the sunrise etc and so these these uh, architects all said oh well picture windows are in so let's give them picture windows and i'll never forget this apartment i visited in san francisco i was thinking of i was looking for an apartment to rent and here they had this big picture window well what was there to look at a lot of blowing newspapers in the street a lot of uh, dirt, uh, nothing that would make you uh, be grateful for having a picture window. Far more sensible would it have been to close off the lower part of the window so you don't have to see all that dirt and open it to the sky so you get the light at least from the sky and from the sun. But you see, the, the architect was not conscious. He didn't do it with an awareness of this particular thing. He was just thinking, oh, picture windows are in. This is what's being done. This is what the customer wants. If you want to do anything in this world and do it well, you have to have that degree of self-control, that degree of awareness, that degree of consciousness, so that if you're, uh, people wonder, why is it that some football players can throw that ball in such a way as to get exactly to where the runner is or where he will be when he gets, when the ball reaches him? And... Uh, other people will, will think, oh, well, you just throw the ball, and if I don't do it well, I guess I don't have the talent for throwing the ball. But that person who throws the ball well practiced and practiced and practiced. And it wasn't that he got up tight. 
He just concentrated and tuned himself to it more and more and more. It took a lot of self-control, certainly not self-abandonment. But in that self-control, each time he threw it, he got more in tune with the kind of movement, the kind of consciousness, the kind of, of uh, thought that had to go out with that ball in order for it to reach its destination. And you won't find anyone who's good at anything who doesn't do exactly that. I'm very into music, and I have to admit that I have personally absolutely no use for rock music. I feel that it disturbs the nervous system. I feel that it brings into the consciousness all sorts of attitudes that are not compatible with a harmonious, happy life. And I could go on uh, on that subject at some length, but I'm saying it to introduce another thought. And that is that some time back I heard Michael Jackson sing uh, a piece on the, on the radio and uh, I heard the announcer say, this is Michael Jackson. And I'd sort of been intrigued because I'd seen that movie of him at Disneyland, Captain EO. And so I, I was wondering how he sang. Anyway, listening to that, I had to hand it to him. He was absolutely in tune with what he was doing. And that's why he's good. Anybody, I may not like what they're doing. I may not like the kind of music they're putting out. I may not like the kind of art they're doing or the kind of book they're writing. And we all have our likes and dislikes in that way. We all have our own taste. But you've got to recognize that when, you've got to recognize when a person does something well, he may not be doing what you would like to have him do, but he's doing what he wants to do and you'll see that even then, it always comes back to consciousness. Like Michael Jackson in that one song that he was doing, he knew exactly when to hit the, right, hit the beat. He knew exactly when to stop it. He knew exactly how much energy to give it. And the average person listening to it would say, oh, I like that, and they wouldn't know why. But the truth of it is, he was conscious of his artistry. And if you're cooking, it's the same thing. A person who's a good cook, who's conscious of everything that he puts in, where it's very important to him, whether he puts this much salt or a little bit less or a little bit more, how much he puts of this ingredient, and so on. Everything you do in life should be done consciously. One thing amazed me uh, in uh, Yogananda, in my spiritual teacher, that... Uh, he was conscious in everything that he did. We have a habit mechanism that enables us, for example, to tie our shoelaces without even thinking. And we can talk while we're tying our shoelaces. But there was some level of his consciousness that seemed to be aware even of tying his shoelaces. He was aware of everything that he did. If you can learn to be aware in your life so that, for example, when you take a walk, try to be aware of what's happening around you. Try to be aware of your body as it moves. Try to be aware of the breeze blowing on your skin, the sun shining on your body, the, the ripple of the leaves in the trees. The more aware you are, and this is what I mean by self-control, the more you, you train your mind to be uh, directed toward what you're trying to do, whatever goal it might be, the more you will find that in the process suddenly you're clicking into that particular ray of understanding, that particular way of doing things, that particular talent, that particular art, 
that particular metier, and you will find that suddenly all it took was attunement, all it took was a little concentration, self-control, and suddenly you can do new things that you never thought of doing before. You've got the key to success in everything. If you want to be happy, if you want to be self-fulfilled, if you want those things which of course everybody wants in this world, then realize that it doesn't come by accident. Happiness doesn't come by just not being unhappy. You have to work at it. You have to work at being happy. You have to work at doing those things that make a person happy. Meditate. Take some time for yourself every day and for your relationship with God. And you'll find that in that self-control, in that centeredness, that everything will begin to flow smoothly in your life and for your own highest welfare.